Hey, everybody. Thanks once again for tuning into the pod and the pendulum. Uh, we actually, Jerry and I, have a very special guest tonight. We have William Butler on, or he just told me I can call him Sir, I guess, apparently. No, or... I said Billy. I said Billy. And yes, I am a very special person. I just pulled up in my very special little miniature car, and here I am. A clown. <laughs> a clown car? Are there like little clowns <laughs> pouring out of it? Yes. Fantastic. What's going on, guys? We're doing well. And, and Billy, we know you as from playing Mike in um, Friday the 13th, Part 7, A New Blood. Um, and actually, you have a pretty fun distinction. Like, you're the only person I know that's been killed by Jason, Leatherface, and Freddy Krueger, correct? And, and the zombies from Night of the Living Dead and the ghoulies. I just am one of those actors that they're like, kill him as fast as you can. <laughs> kill him, kill him. But yeah. Yes, and it was fun, and I didn't miss it for a long time, but I have to say, I'm almost ready to, like, dip my toe back in it a little bit. We'll see. So we need to get Jason Blum on the phone right now and be like... Yeah, let's do that, yeah. I just pitched something over there about eight months ago. I'm not so so sure that I would be their Mm go-to. That's all I'll say about my meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Already starting. Yeah. Great, great. So, actually, my first question for you, Billy, is... By the time you get to Friday the 13th, part seven, like we're six movies in, like everybody knows these franchises at this franchise at this point, like coming on board with it. Like, were you excited to do this movie? Like, were you a fan heading into it or was you just seen it as just another gig? Excited is not the, not the word. I like, I couldn't, well, first of all, I kind of backed up. Oh, by the way, that's my dog dying in the background. So when you hear his death rattle. <laughs> I figured, I, you know, I was going to go in the other room, but I figure it might add to the horror ambience of the right. show with a dog dying in the background. Oh. Uh, no, he's not dying. He's, he just has a something. I don't know what. He has black lung. He used to work in a coal mine. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, so I kind of backdoored myself into the business because I started out sweeping the floors at John Beekler's shop and just being in love with movies and just wanting to be on set and being around actors and and just absolutely loving John Beekler and Charles Band and and just making so many wonderful friends in that shop that many people that I'm I'm still very good friends with to this day and Beekler was such an amazing guy that he knew that I was such a, a Tom Savini geek I was such a Friday the 13th geek like it's all I wanted to hear about was horror films how they're made when they're made and then when I would go home at night me and Vulich would watch the same VHS tape a hundred times over and over again, you know, until one of our parents threw us out or, uh, or even when we moved to LA, we would just fall asleep watching them. And I just, I really loved it. So when the movie came up, I had actually made the transition (laughs) transition is a scary word to use in this day, but I still had all my bits and pieces, but I had transitioned into an actor, um, from doing effects and I had done a bunch of stuff and, um, and I said to Beekler, will you watch my tape? And is there any chance that I can read for the movie? And he was like, absolutely. You could absolutely read for the movie. I just I couldn't believe it. So originally, you want me to shut up and you ask questions? Because I'll just keep no, talking. Absolutely. No, absolutely. You can it. talk. You okay. Go. So originally, and you can read about all of this and more in my upcoming book. It's coming out next summer. Not this summer, but next summer. But anyway, um, so anyway, uh, so originally – he got a script and he was kind of being quiet about it at first. He wasn't saying that it was Friday the 13th. He said it was a movie called birthday bash. Yeah. And, um, and it was like a, a slasher film. And I was like, I'll oh, be please let me be in it. Let me. 
He's like, there's not really any parts in it for you. It's like all rockers. Like originally the original script, it was like a group of like rockers. And um, I was like, no, I can do it. I can do it. So the guys in the shop we pried this wig off of one of the old um, effects and put it on me. And I looked so hideous. I looked like, you know, I was skinny then, but I still look like kind of a frightening uh, combination between Meatloaf and Tina Turner. I looked very weird. But, <laughs> but it, it kind of worked. It kind of worked. And so he's like, all right, all right, you can read for this part. So I went to Anthony Barneo's office. And uh, it was right across the street from the original Empire offices, which was on La Brea and Hollywood, near mm -hmm. there. Uh, yeah, La Brea and Hollywood. And I went in, and um, I read for the part, and it was a, a stupid kind of goofy 80s stereotypical kind of dopey rocker guy. Back then, you know, they never really used real rockers. They just pe people like me in, like, long wigs and then said, act, you know, act goofy. And, you know, and so it wasn't that hard of an audition, really. And then I remember I had to um, – pretend to die and by that time I had died in a bunch of movies so I knew how to milk it and I knew how to kind of I knew the vernacular that the, these guys want to hear whenever you know I knew I knew what to say to them to like at least do a decent audition and if I got mm -hmm. it I got it because every actor in town read for this movie by now this was a juggernaut um franchise and if you were in a Friday the 13th you were in the club like you were going to keep working yeah. so wanted to do it but I also knew better um, which still stands with any meeting now to, to want something too bad is a big, huge mistake. So I played it cool. I did my audition. I went home to my shitty apartment on Franklin and Gower. And then by the end of the day, Anthony Barneo said, I want to book you. Mm. And I can't believe it. I was so happy. And at what point, uh, at what point did the character of Michael go from that rocker to the kind of more uh, straight laced uh, take on the character? Okay, so the script had about twenty drafts before, uh -huh. before it, um, before it got shot, and the characters turned more Ivy League. I don't mm -hmm. know why. Maybe they did a survey and they think more Ivy League people go and watch horror films. I don't think that's true, but. Uh, maybe they had maybe had they had their fill of like fake stereotypical rockers because they had had so many in the past ones. And again, all people that are not really rock and roll, just kind of people in scuzzy outfits. Well, so, that, that and it's a lot of fun to watch the Ivy League kind of people right. get killed. In these killed yeah, particularly me. I'm so irritating on screen. It's always fun <laughs> to get killed. So um, anyway, so um, um, so then uh, the new draft came. And when the new draft came, I was so relieved because. Uh, it was just white bread, vanilla, vanilla wafer people. But the problem is my part got smaller. But I was so happy to be in the movie that I didn't care. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing is, is that I, I offered to come and help them. Like, I mean, I put on Kane's mask, and I think I, I know I made that um, when Terry Kaiser kill. No, when Terry Kaiser gets killed with that weed whacker, that's like a blade. I remember I, I made the blade mm -hmm. cardboard. And then um, I did a bunch of like little weird things. I think I made up Gashman, the guy that gets the hatchet in the face. The, yeah, hatchet. Yeah. I made up Gashman. That's actually my friend Kenny Meredith. It's not really Larry Cox because Larry was off that night. Mm -hmm. Called him Gashman because he had a huge gash in his face, obviously. And um, was really really fun and um, and it was great. It was ter terrific that it turned out to be yuppies because I didn't have to really even try and it was a nothing. Yeah. A nothing part that turned into 
me working for two months because I was in so many weird shots. Like one minute I'm in a tree and the next minute I'm in a Polaroid and the next minute she's seeing me somewhere else. Like throwing you know up. What I've always found interesting about uh, your role in particular is, yeah, your part, you said, got smaller. But if you really think about it, the entire movie's about your character. I mean, all these people are coming together basically to celebrate your birthday. And the best part is the mileage that I got out of this, other than being in an amazing franchise, uh, was um, that I was Kane's very first kill, even though it doesn't show on the movie in that order. The first shot that we filmed of the entire movie with Kane was Kane stabbing me in the kitchen and me throwing mm -hmm. up the blood. So that's, that feels pretty good because by that, you know, Kane and I had worked many times together before that. And it was a Clinton, right? Yeah, it was a complete fluke that um, that he was Jason because I made him up as that that um, ghost in uh, in prison. Vigo, he played Vigo's father, and um, and it turned out pretty good. The color scheme and everything was really good, and I think that was the sort of not that I designed the makeup, I applied the makeup. I want to make that very clear. Mm -hmm. but, um, uh, I think the color scheme and everything and was and the look was sort of the design that Beekler wanted to take just a little bit further for Friday the 13th and they already had Kane's cast and Kane is a great actor who who fully understands suit work and he knows that it's not just walking around like some of these Jasons walk around like they're wearing high heels uh um Kane really really understood um the the body language the breathing the you know he stays you know I'm sure you guys know he stays in character the whole time mm -hmm. and uh oh it was just such a such a overall blessing i'm so proud to be a part of that franchise um and again i'm just a nerd who happened to get tapped on the head with a magic wand like i didn't i didn't work hard to get this it just somehow happened that part of mm -hmm. my and it sounds like there was with with beekler and you coming from like an effects background overall that there was a really kind of like everybody pitch in and do something kind of like a family type of atmosphere on the set of this movie too Oh my gosh! Are you kidding me? Well, Beekler's Beekler is was without mm -hmm. a doubt the um, the nicest, most giving, most considerate human being you'd ever meet in your whole life. All he would have to hear from you was that you wanted to do something, and he would make damn sure that you had an opportunity to do it. Mm -hmm. and if you weren't good at it, he would let you follow through with your first attempt. And um, oh man, he was a he was a terrific, terrific friend. I just got through a very rough um, spring, uh, helping yeah. take, take care of him mm -hmm. and ultimately bury him. Um, and that was, it has been very hard on all of the OGs, mm -hmm. all the OGs from his shop. Um, sadly, it's brought, it's not sadly, but it's brought us all really close together. There are people that are now Oscar winners that are from that shop. There are people mm -hmm. that are homeless that are from that shop, but we're all, we all kind of clung to each other throughout the, um, throughout the process of John dying. And I will say that I am just so completely impressed that you could go 30 years and go back together and it all be just like it was in 1984, you know? Hmm. Uh, it's been a, a very remarkable time for me. Sad to see John go, of course, but... Um. Hmm. Well, uh, speaking of Beekler, I mean, one thing about uh, the New Blood that always stood out to me is you could tell there's such a passion involved when it came to to john and his work in the movie you know like it, it like a lot of these movies and i don't mean friday the 13th movies 
films in general, you could tell a lot of it's paycheck movies, you know, but the new blood, it feel like from the beginning to the very end, you could tell that, that Beekler just really wanted to give the fans everything that they kind of wanted in the franchise and more. And it's one of those films that really stands out for that fact. Um, John was the first on set to get to set and he was the last to leave and he would work in five below zero weather wearing flip-flops and shorts and tank tops his his legendary uh directing outfit and um you're 100 right john was absolutely fearless and he really wanted to make a good movie and i i really do think he made a good movie you know uh-huh well it's it's been like well documented that you know when barbara Sachs came into the picture with with this she kind of had somewhat of a disdain for the franchise and, yeah, and you know said that she kind of wanted to, the franchise. she wanted new blood to be an yeah she wanted new blood to win an oscar you know <laughs> yeah so, I mean, she hated was, it was that ever like an issue working yes. on the set yes it was an issue every single day every inch of that movie was an issue but i have to say with a lot of these big company movies and even the movies that i've done that are you know medium-sized franchises i'm mean, excuse me franchises uh production companies um, they fuck with you the whole fucking way. Like mm-hmm. you think you think that you're they're gonna love you because they you're gonna help them make millions. And from day one, they're telling you you don't know what you're talking about. It's always the same. It never it's never not that way. The only way it's not that way is if you pay for the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, they fucked with him every step of the way. They fucked with Jeff Burr even worse. But that's a whole other TV. Show. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I've. I've I've interviewed Jeff I think twice this year and some of the stories are just oh my god they stop insanity yeah but anyway and you know now, the thing is is that the bottom line is you know me and Mike Deke sort of invented invented this philosophy in 1986 when we were you know underneath two inches of plywood with eight thousand gallons of um, mildewed uh, goo pouring down through the cracks of the puppet ramp, you know, with our hands crammed up these these fucking puppets and just being so miserable and being so unhappy. And then we would just be like, I would just start laughing. And he's like, why are you laughing? I'm like, you know what's funny? Is in like three years, this video cassette's going to be dusty on some fucking bookshelf. And people are seldom are going to even think about this. And nobody is going to be thinking about how uncomfortable we are. <laughs> and that's kind of kind of what you have to do when you're making a movie, because uh, a film set is a very volatile playground, very volatile. Even on its best day, there's either someone that's crazy, someone that's stealing, someone that's on blow, someone that's a drunk, someone that's a bitch, someone that's no longer famous that does not know that they're no longer. F- there's always something, you know. So the best you can do is try to see the, see the good parts and. Uh, and um, and just stick with it. So what what were some of the things you guys did then to relieve those tensions? Like you said, it be volatile. Uh, Tell me a little bit about what went on behind the scenes to relieve some of that tension once okay. the cameras aren't rolling. We fucked and we did a lot of blow and we did tons of drinking. Anything else? Um, there was a good amount of that, but uh, I can't. Mm-hmm. Actually, most of it was coming from me and not from the other actors. But, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, I was uh, very, uh, oh, somebody's, Whoa. What somebody's, was that? Uh, I think someone's toast is done. But anyway, um, yeah. I thought your dog was making strange noises. We were all, 
He might have died. I don't hear him breathing anymore. Uh, where is? He? Oh God! Sweep him under the carpet. Anyway, um, uh, yes, uh, we were all twenty-one and twenty-three years old, and um, you know, this is. Uh, I'm not speaking on behalf of the actors. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm speaking on behalf of the crew, most of which are dead now. So mm-hmm. I'll point out to you. Um, there was a great deal of cocaine usage going on during the film. Um, it was during a time where using blow on set was not considered partying as much as it was considered a necessity for a uh, for a night shoot. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. were having it we were having it FedExed into the set in birthday cards. <laughs> <laughs> this is before 9/11, when you could basically send a bomb through FedEx if you wanted to. Um, the FBI, if you're listening, that was a joke. Anyway, oh my god! Um, no, but Fed we were ex- FedEx yeah. shipments of cocaine magazine, and I get magazines with in birthday there. cards. Is the in best part card. of that. Happy birthday. Wait, wait, did you say magazines with like magazines. coke in it? Yes, it's taped, <laughs> taped in there. Yes, we get that. And um, yeah, you wanted I'm... you wanted an interview, right? I'm just picturing the birthday card getting delivered to the wrong person and going to a little kid. Okay, first of all, there would not be one person on set that would be surprised by any of that. This is a different time. All the production staff was on GAC, all of them. And um, they, uh, we would just do it during the, um, you know, during the night shoots. Mm-hmm. I, ha- um, I happen to have accidentally poured an entire like gram on the ground inside a porta potty in the middle of the night because I was fumbling around in the darkness. I wasn't exactly the most popular human being on set that particular night. But lucky it was someone's birthday the next day, so problem solved. <laughs> so and, like you, you mentioned uh, you know, Kane. Uh, and I, I you know, from past uh, conversations you and I have had, uh, you mentioned that he would like pull pranks on you or like was it like urinate in your trailer or something no no first of all that came from him but okay uh, okay the good things the funny things about kane are first of all he's and kane does not do drugs and i don't even think he drinks frankly so i want to make it very clear that i'm not talking about the actors i really am not don't know Mm -hmm. what the actors were up to um but i can tell you i partied my ass off with the crew let me think was there any actors no i mostly just banged around with a bunch of them but anyway Mm -hmm. um so anyway, um, yeah, Kane. Uh, so Kane could not only uh, vomit on command, which is very, which is very entertaining. Um, he also does all these stupid fart jokes and all the. He's just stupid. He'll punch you in the stomach, like you know. He's just, he's just. I just absolutely love him. I still am in touch with him. I speak to him at least once a month. Um, recently, we started talking to Vigo because I forget why there was something. Vigo just, oh, well, Vigo obviously was nominated for an Oscar. Uh, that's why we started talking to him, yeah, and we were telling him congratulations. But then Kane and I started hanging out, and then Kane and I started taking care of Beekler. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's good. The thing about him peeing in my dressing room, <clears throat> I guess that's true. Uh, I must have been slow because I never noticed it. Uh, I asked him the other day, I was like, what the fuck is that? Somebody said he wrote it in a book or whatever. What's the fuck is that? He goes, yeah, I used to pee in your dressing room all the time. I go, why? He goes, (laughs) to see if you'd smell it when you went in there. I was like, what What the fuck? How is that pranking me? I don't understand. First of all, I was too out of my mind to like even, you know. And on the chainsaw in particular, I was like so shaky all the time because it was a very nerve-wracking experience with all Mm -hmm. those saws and 
getting beat up and all that shit. And um, yeah, I guess he he was. I guess he says he was doing that. I don't know that he was doing that. If I would have known that, I would have taken a shit in his dressing room. Just so. <laughs> Well, there's still time. There's still time for payback. Well, they barely give dressing rooms anymore, so I'll just have to Mm. shit somewhere on the set. (laughs) So coming from an effects background to like where you, you know, had designed or had like implemented some of the makeup and the effects, what sort of disappointments were there when you saw how much this movie got hacked to shreds by the MPA at the end? My God, I couldn't believe when I went to the rough cut, there was a I got invited to the rough cut. Um, it was in uh, near UCLA, and there was no effects in it. Oh wow! It didn't make any sense? And I'm sure you guys have heard this before. If you watch a horror film with no scary music, you're like, "What the fuck is this?" People walking around like it. It was. I was like, "I'm never going to work again." John's never going to work again. This movie is garbage, and uh, and. They, they, they finally let him start putting some of the effects back in. You, I mean, they had it cut so tight, and not on John's behalf, on the, on the MPAA's behalf. Um, they finally let him put – because it wasn't making any sense, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. They put it back in, and they put that a magnificent music in there, and a, mm-hmm. that it was really great, and I was, never, I was never more proud. Now, when it came to the MPAA kind of – taken a uh, machete to the film so to speak i mean do, do you think do you think that was mostly the mpaa or was it kind of that mentality that that we mentioned you know barbara Sachs kind of had this kind of disdain yeah. for the franchise did she not you know was she not on board with kind of what she got uh, into? well first of all i wasn't privy to any meetings yeah i can uh-huh. tell you this that her main beefs were like with story and not so much effects like and I feel like out of all the Friday the 13th, I feel like this movie has um, has a lot of story in it, actually. Doesn't mm. it? Or am I just saying that? I think it does. Well, it's it's something that the franchise hadn't seen before. I mean, a lot of those slasher franchises, I mean, it's it's very unique to throw, I mean, seven movies in to throw, you know, a telekinetic, you know, adversary to Jason. It's very right. interesting. And it's the first one that throws, like, a human villain into the series as well. Right, right, right. So, um, uh, I don't think she, I think she was more concerned. I mean, they were, it was like an old 1940s movie. They were rewriting the movie every single day. The actors were getting new pages every single day. We were like, what's this? Oh, we added a scene where you're doing this. Oh, okay. It was like, no, is, that David is that frustrating Wasn't, as an actor to, no. was it, is it frustrating to have to like, you know, change every day to what yeah. maybe you had prepared yourself to do already? No, because when you're in a Friday the 13th, your basic, your job is to look cute and have good hair and like look cool when you get killed. I mean, it's not really your terms of endearment. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like oh, you're probably. thrilled, you're thrilled to be there. You got a hotel, you're in Alabama for almost two months and um, no, it's fun. And the scenes aren't hard. You know, they're not, I mean, what's her name? Uh, Lar had the hardest, I think, hardest stuff, you know, acting um, horror material I think is harder than acting just straight material because you have to convince the audience of such bullshit and you have to really commit to it and really, you know, really make that shine. And, you know, as a person who managed to do that about, you know, maybe uh, 80% of the time that I tried, I can tell you that it's very difficult. You know, like 30 years later, I mean, you know, New Blood comes out in 88. Did you ever imagine that 30 years later, you know, people would still 
bring you those glossies to sign at conventions of, you know, your character? I and mean, I got to tell you something. It's the ones. No, um, I would say it's 50 50. It's it's not of the living dead. And also in that one, it's 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 half and half. I'm 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 surprised that I went whenever I just got I just came back from England to do a big convention, a zombie convention out there. I can't even believe that anyone even knew who I was. Like, I barely remember performing in some of these things. Like, it's such an honor and so flattering. And everyone's just so nice. And, um, you know, horror fans are a very particular bunch. We are, for sure. But if we're anything, we're dedicated, you know. And, um, yes, I'm very surprised that that happens. And, yes, I'm very grateful. And uh, everyone that is has been in a Friday the 13th, when you go to a convention – there's this strange, like, uh, sort of alumni sort of feel that you have this camaraderie with the pe- the person, even if they weren't in your movie. Like, you know, because it's serious. If in at, at that time period, if you were in a Friday the Thirteenth, you were in the mix in Hollywood. Like, mm-hmm. they didn't give those parts away. Like, you had to earn. So it's almost like these these conventions have kind of given your career, you know, the career a second life. Like, you're always getting some attention or some remembrance overall. From stuff and like you said, have, has there ever been like a movie someone's brought up that you've been in and you're like, I don't remember any of that at all? Like, uh, let me think. Well, first of all, I kind of transitioned from acting to director. Mm-hmm. Directing. It, I, I went out of the spotlight of performing, but I've always kind of kept pushing forward. I'm yeah, very. I go through very, life very with a, bat, a yeah. battling ram. Um, but um, let me think. There's some. Well, wasn't there that that convention that you did? Uh, I think you and I were both at the convention in, in a Tulare disaster. But didn't someone like bring up something that had to do with Halloween, and you weren't even in that movie? Oh yeah, that was funny. Then I signed it anyway. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Well, I was too embarrassed. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, because I think I my love, table. You know, mm-hmm. What else I love also is sometimes because I'm fatter and older now. You have to understand, in some of these movies, I was 17 years old. I'm 55 now. So uh-huh. sometimes they'll look at a picture that's on my table, and because I don't look like a gazelle anymore, they'll think I'm the killer, and they'll go, "Will you sign it?" And I go, "Yeah." What do you want me to sign it? And they go, and they point on the leather face, and they go, "Sign right here where you're standing." I'm like, "Okay, you got it." <laughs> <laughs> and then sometimes they'll just write a different name, or like, "All right, you know, whatever." That's great. It's terrific. You know, I'll sign your I'll sign your grandmother for twenty five dollars. I don't care. Bring it up, right? Bring your no, you, you know, you mentioned that transition from performing to directing, which you've had you know a, a good career in doing. I mean, you've worked as a director very consistently. Was it an easy transition? I mean, was your passion more in directing, or what kind of yes. inspired that thing? So what happened was um, at around thirty six, you know, I did I did nothing but play like best friends in everything, like the best friend or the friend of the lead. And um, I did not know how to be a character actor. I had no idea. And um, all I knew how to do was, you know, go in, be made up and read the lines. I, and, and, you know, I studied, but I didn't, I wasn't like, didn't know how to be a character actor. And then I turned 36 and I no longer looked like a college student and they didn't know what to do with me, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was either like, I started putting on weight because I, you know, for me, in order for me to stay skinny, I cannot eat any food, which thankfully I'm back on because I'm so tired of telling everyone, everyone telling me I put on weight. But back then I didn't eat any food. And um, I started eating. The more successful I got, I would eat. And I started putting away and I was like, oh my God, I don't look like a racehorse anymore. And I don't know how to, and it's like my feedback on my auditions was, 
tell him to lose 20 or gain like 40, like one or the other. He's too far. He's in the middle. And they were right, even though it's rude. They were correct. And I just didn't want to do that. And I didn't know how to be the goofy, bumbling, fat person. And I didn't, and I wasn't pretty enough or talented enough to be, to move on to become Viggo Mortensen. You know what I mean? Like I just, I just kind of was like, oh, this kind of had, for that time period, it had kind of run its course. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I, um, I started doing voice work on Power Rangers. I started playing some of the villains on Power Rangers. And mm-hmm. from there, I became friends with several of the executives from Saban Entertainment. And from that, I got placed on a show that was called The Basement. It was a Fox Family show where I did some voices of some weird characters, puppets on there. And I mm-hmm. became friends. And I, I started, um, Vigo and I uh, were roommates at the time. And we had done a little, we were working on a little short film. And um, I showed it to Eric Roman, and well, Vigo had just kind of started becoming famous. So suddenly, I became the the guy that like knew famous people, even though Vigo and I had been eating dog food for fifteen years before right. Vigo, you know. And so, um, so then suddenly it was like, oh, would you want to direct Power Rangers? I was like, uh, okay, and uh, you know, it's like I directed some Power Rangers, and I started directing TV commercials, and I just. You know, I learned eventually that I'm a much better writer, certainly much better writer, and certainly much better director than I ever was an actor. And there's not so much upkeep. Um, you know, I've got the crazy in my head to uh, manage being an actor because you've got to be a little loopy and crazy. But I just don't really know. I don't really. You have to kind of truly know yourself in order to like convince other people. I don't really know myself anymore as much as I used to. Or I thought I knew myself. So I think I might indicate a little bit while I act. I think I might kind of still, you know, be one of those people that still glances at the camera. I don't, I don't know mm-hmm. if I can do it anymore. Although I have lately, I've lost a bunch of weight. Um, I'm kind of kind of thinking about it, but I, I, don't, I don't really know. We'll see. Right now I'm loving directing. I'm leaving on, uh, I leave on Saturday to go direct a film up north. And, um, and I'm very excited about that. I have a movie coming out at Christmas time. So. It's been a busy time, but I don't think I would mind acting again if it came back around, I, I guess, if I, if I knew how to do it. Well, I've, I've always loved that about your career. I mean, it seems like you just, you're involved in every facet of filmmaking. I mean, from the beginnings of special effects to acting to directing. I mean, nowadays, you kind of do everything, you know, like with the films, you that, you, the films that you've been making. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think you kind of have to. Um think you do maybe not maybe if you're brilliant but you know like even vigo like vigo's now like acting all the time and he's he just finished directing a movie he's he's cutting it and i think if you just love cinema and i know jerry loves it i know jerry's involved in writing and mm-hmm. creating films and stuff and you know it's just i mean let's face it guys sometimes we don't sometimes we don't make money at these freaking things but you just gotta do it you know like i just had this three bears movie coming out um in, uh December and I think everyone around me is going to make a fortune and I probably will not make I'll probably make the seven thousand dollars that I made when I'm when I created the movie and then and that'll be it because I'm the last in line but um, mm-hmm. you know I I'm already planning on another one so I guess if you love it then you keep doing it you know I I have to ask though what inspired the the book you're writing I mean I you know having talked to you you know many times you know, you, you always have such really great meaty stories and and yeah. so fun fun to listen to them. Uh, what what made you want to write a book about? Okay, so um, so all through the eighties and nineties, I kept very very copious uh, diaries. Like mm-hmm. like I have 
25 diaries that have so many stories in them. And, you know, the one, to the one thing that I, I, I kept my toe dipped in in acting was I do these monologue shows here in Los Angeles. Well, they just have like these storytelling shows. Well, they'll just say, can you, do you have an interesting story? And I would say, uh, I kind of want to do this because I'm afraid of it, which I love doing things that I'm terrified of. I said, yeah, I'm really scared, but I'll, I started out by reading some of my like first, first loves and you know, they're just, just such garbage and so embarrassing and so desperate. And, and that got a lot of laughs. And then I kind of, kind of ran out of those stories. So I think the first one I told was, um, when I worked on Cellar Dweller and, and Yvonne DiCarlo kind of verbally attacked me in a hundred different ways and it got huge laughs. So I shifted gears from reading, um, stories, Henry stopped panting. Um, I, I shifted gears from uh, from telling stories about my pitiful love life to my pitiful movie career. No, anyway, so yeah, so I started telling the stories about celebrities that most of them were dead, so they wouldn't care, and none of the stories are mean-spirited, and um, I got a lot of traction. I, I suddenly started getting invited to like all of these monologue shows, so because I was getting such attention on that, and I have tons of like people that can give you a career on my Facebook page, I started uh, posting some of the ones, some of the stories that got huge reactions. And I did that for about, I guess, three or four years. And I mm -hmm. got, oh man, I almost said who it was. I, I can't tell you who it is, but it's a very good book company. Um, I got a instant message from one of the publishers from that company. And they said, we've been coming to your show and we love your stories. And I was like, thank you. And they were like, have you ever considered putting them in a book? And I was like, you know, people say that, but I'm fucking William Butler. Like, I was mid-shelf known famous at best. Like, who the fuck is going to care? They're like, we've already done the math, and we know we can sell like 2,000 books, even if you're just going to conventions and, and pushing them. Mm -hmm. So well, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're the Mickey Rooney of horror. All right, and they brought that up. So, <laughs> so they're like, we're not worried about it. You know, we sell if we sell 2,000 books... Uh, because you know they have they have outlet deals, so they have deal they have deals that they have to meet. So like in summer of 2020, they have to deliver 10 autobiographies, and so I would just help fulfill that. So it wouldn't be like a lot of pressure on them or me because they just have to have books on the shelves, you know. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's not that I'm special. So for anyone that's listening and rolling their eyes, trust me, I was rolling my eyes when she was asking me because I was like, who the fuck's going to care about? But then as I started writing it, I was like, all right, these are pretty juicy stories. If they if they end up staying in there, it's de excuse me, I have a hiccup so bad. Um, it's definitely a book that you would – it's easy to read. It's a lot of short stories. It's a lot of stories about famous people. It's a lot of stories about me being on drugs, things I've never told anyone. It's a lot of stories about when Vigo and I were roommates. Um, and there's other bizarre things that no one knows. Like one summer when I was in the National Lampoon sketch show um, – there was a girl in the show. I'll try to make this really quick because I know the horror fans are not going to care. But um, there was a girl in the show that was a Madonna right. impersonator, a Madonna impersonator. And so I used to sing backup for her in some of the sketches for National Lampoon. They were parody songs. And one day she calls me. This is about around 1996. And she says, what are you doing for the summer? And I say, nothing at all, literally. Everything had stalled at that point. She said, would you like to come to France with me and travel in my cover, my Madonna, my Madonna cover band and sing backup. And I was like, fuck yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, of course. 
So I get there. I get there. And I realize that they think I'm a singer and a dancer, right? And I'm like, oh, no. I just do oohs and ahs. I don't do. No, 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 no. You're here. You're going to learn how to do all this stuff. No, I'm not. Fuck you. I'm leaving. I start to leave. They block the door. They say, we don't, we, we don't really think you realize who you're working for. I'm like, what? They're like, the mob owns all these clubs. Oh, no. <laughs> you have a one-way ticket. You're not going anywhere until the end of the summer. So I will spare everyone this. Uh, all, you have to, all I have to say is you have to read about it. You will not believe it. Um, it ends, this ends, the story ends three and a half months later with me and this girl, you know, dropping out of the second story window of a French hotel room and her blowing the taxi cab driver for us to go into Paris and try to like get an airplane ticket home. I mean, it Just was escape like, the mob. it was bad. So okay. I do, I do have to ask though, is your Prince story going to be in the book? It's already in there. It's on page 30. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. 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 Any of our listeners get the book, even just for that story. It's one of my favorite stories around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on page 30. Yeah, I, I try to get – the, the book company is like, all right, yeah, 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 get to the get to the heart. But, yeah. you know, it's like there all this shit kind of led up to like you – no, know, I was like a painfully shy, like abused, verbally, physically, mentally abused kid that could barely speak and that somehow turned my shit around and got into all this stuff – and so, you know, I feel like for anybody else that lived through the crap that I lived through, I'm going to put a little bit of that in there at least to like, you mm -hmm. know, the thing that's cool about a book is I know that it won't be any kind of a big deal. But the thing that's cool about writing a book, and I'm sure, Jerry, you feel this about your writing as well, is like when we're dead, isn't it interesting that like someday someone will pull out something that you wrote and they'll read it? It's like so interesting to me. And I thought, I thought well, yeah, that's, that's why I, I that's why I prim primarily tried to go uh, full-time into print instead of like web work is because yeah. you know you, you can lose you can lose that stuff online you know i'd rather have something tangible you know that my kids or any other like right or fans can just read in general right and that's it's kind of like acting where it's like i wake up at three o'clock in the morning and i hear my own voice and i look on the tv and there i am in some movie that i don't remember making but that's cool and i'm young and beautiful thank god but like well, how cool is it that if there are such somebody walks by and they go oh this nerd looks cool i'm gonna read i'm gonna read about him you know like to me, that's really good, and I'm going to really try really hard to, to try to, um, you know, I'm not going to, I don't have kids. I'm not going to leave anything behind. So for me, it's very special that I'm going to be able to leave this book behind on whatever level um, that it'll be there if anyone ever gives a shit to know about who I was. So I'm, I'm so thankful, and I'm very shocked, you know. And when does this hit the shelves? Like you said, 2020, it sounds like? I think so, Summer, late summer of 2020. Probably maybe around Halloween 2020. Yeah. Um, because I know I have to turn it in on March, and you know they'll completely rewrite it, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. um, but <laughs> particularly that I was raised in the carnival and have horrible grammar, but um, it's county. But anyway, yeah, so that book is a really, really, it's a, I'm, I'm very honored, and I feel very pressured, and uh, and yes, Prince throwing his nuts in my face is, is in the book. It's <laughs> really... I don't think we could end on any better note than that. So that's, that's not a cliffhanger. I don't know what is. I think that that, you know, like, I really think if, if you could, if you could come on every show at the end and just say that, I think yeah. we could end every episode. You should have a button on your show. Like, I'll never forget the time when I was 13 when Prince put his nuts in my face. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Oh, All right, you guys. Terrible.
Man, I sure do appreciate you guys thinking of me. I really do, and um, I wish you every happiness. Well, thank you so much. And if our schedules allow, like we would love to have you on again to talk about uh, eventually Leatherface and also the Return of the Living Dead series. Yes, whatever uh, you want. So Anything definitely. for Jerry. Jerry had Jerry's like Tony Timpone. Whatever he asks for, he gets. So all right, perfect. All right, all right, great man. It's been a thank real pleasure. So thank you. And good luck Thanks heading out this month. Of okay, film. I'm gonna thank try you. to hang up now. All right, let's see how it goes. Gibby, you can start coughing again. Gibby? Gibby? All right, all right, bye. Bye. Right? That That was really fun. Hey, everybody. We want to say thank you once again for listening. We hope you enjoyed our bonus episode with William Butler from uh, Blade Mike over in Friday the 13th, Part 7, A New Blood. That interview was a hell of a lot of fun to conduct, and some of the stuff we actually had to leave on the cutting room floor was gold, but uh, we just didn't want any hurt feelings. Um, If you are listening, thank you so much. And we actually have a little bit of a giveaway this weekend. So if you go over to our Twitter page, uh, Pod and Pendulum, number one, give us a follow. Number two, we're going to have a little pinned post there asking what your favorite horror TV series is of all time. Um, If you follow us and leave a comment there, you will be entered to win um, the television show Hannibal uh, complete series one through series one through three, and there really should have been more of that. That really was a baller show. Um, you will win the complete series, a digital download of that for you to keep forever. Um, so that's a little giveaway we're doing right now. The week end of this show comes out. Go to Pod and Pendulum over at Twitter. Leave us a comment on your favorite horror TV show of all time, and you could win that very easily. Uh, We'll be back on Monday with Jason Takes Manhattan with special guest Brad McCarg. We're really excited to bring that episode over. I think that was actually a lot of fun to record. We did that last night. Um, We have a lot of very cool stuff coming up in the Pipeworks going forward. So thank you once again for listening. If you can right now, go over, take a moment, head over to iTunes. Leave us a quick review. We need five-star reviews. I can tell you that every time we get one, um, we see our numbers jump. It does help new people find us. Jerry and I absolutely love bringing the show to everyone, and we want to bring it to as many people as possible. So thank you once again for listening. Have a fantastic week, and we will be back again this coming Monday with Jason Takes Manhattan. Venmo, forget Venmo. Yeah. And then I thought Venmo was Vimeo, and I even mispronounced it Vimeo forever. So it sounds like a sandwich. I'd like a Vimeo sandwich, if you please. (laughs) Yeah, um, yeah, I'm old. So yeah. Jerry was telling me it should have been like a Netflix comedy special trying to get you set up. I know. And look, I don't even look that old, but my brain, and we all know why my brain is old. There's a lot of reasons. (laughs) <laughs> Technology is not my friend.
That's funny. Oh, so uh, will do you prefer William or Bill or Will? Like, what's your preference? Let's see. Do I know you? No, we've never spoken. Okay, you before. can call me William. No, I'm kidding. You can call me Billy. I call you sir. Okay, well, that all depends. <laughs>